Isn't that good to hear? Amen. Amen. I just want to keep my mouth shut and just listen to that. That's, That's beautiful. Well, as Brother Edward said, today is Palm Sunday. And half the church leaves. Going to children's church, that's a good sign. Not that the church is leaving, they're just going somewhere else to be fed. Uh, Traditionally today, being Palm Sunday, it is overflowing with meaning for us as Christians. And this event that we're going to read about today, don't worry about the drips that you see falling out of the ceiling, it's okay. Um, It's filled with tradition and intense meaning for us as Christians. And it's very easy to be overlooked if we're just doing um, rapid reading of the Bible for our quote-unquote daily time in the Word that we uh, do a lot of times. And I am guilty of that. That's why I speak on it like I know what I'm talking about because I've done it before. So it's easy to overlook the triumphal entry especially when you consider the the events that take place in the week after this triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. I'm getting a little bit of feedback. I've heard people say that. I hear it now. I know what that is. So, uh, One of those events is when Jesus clears the temple. Right after this, in this passage that we'll read, Jesus clears the temple. And he did so because there was... There was uh, exchanging of money for temple offerings at that particular time, and they were doing it in a way that did not honor God. That was not the reason for them doing it. They were doing it because they were busy making money, and it angered Christ. So he cleared the temple. Well, we like to take that and say, well, it's okay for me to be angry from time to time when I want to be, as long as I don't sin. Well, that's not the case. That's not okay for us to be that way, just because Jesus was. And then Judas, he's bought for a few coins, um, 30 pieces of silver to be exact. That was the cost of a slave in those days. But we know that Judas had the purse of the disciples and he loved money. And it was his idol, it was his focus. The Last Supper, which is we celebrate even today, the institution of the Lord's Supper that we celebrate here from time to time as an ordinance of the church, followed by Christ's arrest and Peter's denial. We like to, we don't like to, but we focus on Peter's denial uh, when we don't continue to do what Christ told us to do, and that's be a witness to all the ends of the earth. And our ends of the earth sometimes are right in our own workplace, sometimes in our own Uh, neighborhood, and we are convicted at times that when we don't um, pronounce Christ or tell of our faith in Christ with those, that we give ourselves a pass because look what Peter did. Peter denied Christ, and he was one of his very disciples. And then finally, Christ's crucifixion and his resurrection. So we, it's very easy for us to lose Focus on um, 
the triumphal entry based upon all those events that followed. But I want to focus on that today, and we're going to be in the 19th chapter of Luke. And all of this takes place in his very last week of earthly ministry before his crucifixion and his resurrection. Turn to chapter 19, and we're going to pick up in verse 28. And he says, After he had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he approached Bethpage in Bethany, near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you. There as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus and they threw their coats on the colt, put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. And as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which had been, had, that they had seen, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory on the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. And when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you, surround you, hem you in on every side, and they will... They will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. So as we've read that scripture, you may have read that many, many times and breezed right past it to get on to the other aspects of this final week. Father, today as we look at your word, I pray that you would just drive this point home into us as you have driven it into me. Lord, may we see ourselves. May we not be an audience that sits here and listens to these words as we have many times. But Lord, that we would see ourselves in the, pe- in the places of these people. And that Christ is indeed speaking to us today. Whether we're saved or we're not, He is indeed speaking to us and made these passages of Scripture. As they're revealed to us through the Holy Spirit, may they convict our hearts that we might be repentant people. In Jesus' name we pray. Two things jump out of this this, uh, particular passage to me here. Number one, it's the attitude of the people. And when I... As I prayed about how we're to receive this, put yourself in the place of these people. Second thing that jumps out is the attitude of Christ himself in this. On the one hand, these people have an eager desire to celebrate 
to enjoy the glories of this kingdom of God that they believe is coming, but they see it completely different than what it truly is. They see it, uh, the kingdom of God that is coming, they see it as a celebration that there's going to be um, a victory over the Roman control of their country, specifically Jerusalem. They see it as being freed from uh, tyranny and this king setting himself up to be a king in the kingdom of God, and they're going to be benefactors of that. But this is not what's about to take place. The attitude of Jesus. Jesus pronounces on them total destruction. Not in the arrival of the kingdom, but the judgment of God. Two totally different scenarios. And how did these people get to be like this? Or we're much like them today. As we read through verses 23 through 34, Jesus is leaving the comfort of the home of some very close friends when he leaves Bethany and Bethphage. He's leaving that comfort. Why was he there? Jesus knew that he was coming into his hour. In other Gospels, in in, uh, Luke prior to this, you, you hear him say over and over, my hour has not come yet. But his hour is about to be here. And prior to that, God ordained, of course, he sought the comfort and the love and the companionship of friends. And we know that Mary anointed him for burial. But look at the people that were around him, <clears throat> how they didn't understand what was going on in those particular times. And he puts all of this in motion. This final week, he places it in motion by a command that he gives two of his disciples. And it's obvious to us what is going on because we have the written word of God that we can read over and over and over. And that we uh, have had in our hands for many years. But these people are living this firsthand. This is the first time that this is taking place in their lives. So they do not get it. They don't understand. There are a few, but the majority do not. And even his closest did not realize it as well. So in these verses, when he puts forth the command to go into the city that is ahead of you, the town that's ahead of you, they don't have to ask him which one. The one we just left, the one to the right or to the left, he said ahead. He knows Or they know where they're going. They're on their way to Jerusalem, but they are to go to this town ahead of them. How did Christ know where that donkey would be? And not that donkey, but the colt of that donkey. How did he know that? He knew that because he was omniscient. He was God in human flesh. And he spoke those words to those men. So as they go, they do nothing more than speak the words that were spoken to them, that he told them to say. They didn't add to it, and they didn't take away from it. They said, the Lord has need of it. And why the colt of a donkey? Kings didn't ride burdens or beasts of burden. Kings rode great horses, war horses. And this colt, of a donkey, the Jews saw this animal as suitable for holy purposes. If you look back at Old Testament Scripture, 
There are specific requirements for uh, animals that were sacrificed. They could not be with blemish. Some of them had to be a certain age. And this cult had never had any kind of secular labor placed upon it. So this was an image of a pure animal that was to be used for a holy principle. And look what it carried. It carried the Son of God. The very perfect sacrifice that was going to be for the sin of the world. So you had the pure little colt. And you had pure Jesus who sat upon him. That is an image that I never got. Couldn't understand why you would take a baby and place Jesus on that. Until I studied, until I gave it time to, gave the Holy Spirit time to speak to me. <clears throat> and in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Jesus was perfect, without spot, without blemish. He was made to be the sacrifice for us. And God foreordained for him to ride on a colt that had never been put into secular labor to keep that pureness evident. But you would have thought, surely these people saw that. They couldn't. This is not what they were looking for. They were looking for a king that was going to come and free them from Roman control. Look at verse 37 and 38. As soon as he was approaching. Well, let's go back up to 34. They said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and they threw their coats on the colt and they put Jesus on it. When you read these verses, Scripture tells us that they not only went out and laid down garments in the road, but people that were going along the road with the procession would come across these great areas of palm trees, and they would cut branches because the palm frond, the leaf, when you think leaves are not little, many of you may have seen or not seen them, but we're going to see them Wednesday night, uh, and they're not... <coughs> Excuse me. They're not the same size as many that I have seen. Had a palm tree in my front yard in my uh, home that I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. And these palm fronds were massive. They were the size of the hood of a, a vehicle. And they were huge trees. But these people cut these. And those palm fronds and the, and the coats being laid down in front of Jesus, they were symbols of joy and salvation. And these people were joyful. They were very joyful. But it also symbolized their submission to the king. And they wanted to show him honor and royalty as best they could. Because of what they were wanting and expecting from him. And as you read 37 and 38, as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd... Of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice 
from all the miracles which they had seen, shouting. And it wasn't like I read it the first time. It was, Hosanna! Blessed is He! Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. That's how they said it. Okay? Not like we read it, very mundane, very low and going on. And they kept saying it over and over and over to the point where they were pretty worked up. I'll just say that for now. They were a pretty worked up crowd because they thought for sure this was the king that was going to free us and set us free from all the tyranny of Rome. Everything. We go to football games. We go to the Rangers baseball stadium. We go to NASCAR. <laughs> um, yeah. Mm, strike some of you a blow here. How do you act? Let's just say one of your children's out there playing and your child makes a great tackle. Hits the game-winning run. Scores the winning touchdown. What? No. No, you don't go, hoo You're a fanatic. I've literally seen people jumping up and down in aluminum bleachers at volleyball games and fall down. And they don't just fall down. They, they tumble. Because they're fanatics. They're excited. Well, these people were excited too. Only think of our excitement at these sporting events or when our children do something spectacular. It's, it's a fleeting moment. It's gone. can be erased by the next run scored or the next touchdown or whatever by the opposing team, can be totally erased, but not this. This was something that they were grasping onto, they were clinging to. It was all of their hopes and dreams from prophecy all the way from back from Zechariah 9.9 that told about your king is going to come. But they didn't read or they didn't remember everything that was said in Zechariah 9.9. They got the bits and pieces that they wanted. And then I believe in their humanistic minds, they began to add to, to make it what they wanted it to be. So Jesus on this colt, he could see the whole city laid out in front of him. From the Mount of Olives, it's a descent down to Jerusalem. From Jericho up to Jerusalem, it's about a 4,000, 3,500, somewhere in between there. Ascent uphill, but from the Mount of Olives where he was at, he could actually, as he descended to go into Jerusalem, he could actually see down and into. He could see the beginning of it. He could see at the back of it from the height that he was at. And you think about these people at that particular time, they were... They were so excited about all that they had heard and seen. The miracles that had been performed. Many of them hadn't seen one, but they wanted to be there when the next one happened. Many of them had seen, and they sure wanted to see another one. And then you had believers mixed in that were truly following him for the right reason. And all of these people were gathered in his immediate vicinity... Some historians have have calculated there could have been upwards of 100,000 people just around him following him. He had just left Zacchaeus' house. He's a notorious 
tax collector. How many people do you think he offended by collecting taxes over and above? Because Scripture tells us that he said, I will repay fourfold. So he had obviously gone beyond his right and charged more than he should have to some. And many of those debts he had made good. They saw a changed man. Not to mention Lazarus, who was dead to the point where he stunk. And they saw him now. They had heard, and now they see him. He's alive. And he's walking with Jesus. You have the Passover going on in Jerusalem. It's a huge celebration. It's a huge gathering. What are they celebrating? Hmm? What's the Passover? Freedom from slavery, the bondage of Egypt. There's a 400-year gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Lots of more years added to that, and a few on this side too. So that big gap, it was just history to most of these people. They were, a lot of them were doing it because it was the thing to do. It's tradition. They didn't really have any connection to it. But they were there to celebrate that. And there's accounts that there was a certain amount of sacrifices made. And if I read one right, a lamb could count for ten people. And there were several, there's like 225,000 slain lambs at that, or at a Passover in those times. Do the math. (laughs) It's a huge amount of people that are in Jerusalem, not that are following Jesus. So this group that's following Jesus, now you have a massive outpouring from Jerusalem's eastern gate. John chapter 12 tells us they pour out because they want to see and hear this thing too. It's a massive, massive collection of people. And they begin to cry out, led by the disciples. Blessed is the name, or blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Screaming it. Worked into a frenzy. And if you look at verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. (laughs) With all that commotion going on and that loud praising of Christ the king, I don't think that they were going, Hey, Jesus, tell them to be quiet. I think they literally had to scream it to even get it, unless they were in that close of proximity. Why were the Pharisees so concerned about what they were doing? Number one, of above all things, it was envy. They hated the recognition that Jesus was getting because they were losing their influence and their ability to manipulate people. They were losing that over these people. Second point was that if Rome caught wind of this rebellion or this uh, carrying on happening, they might send something to take care of it. And guess who they would come to? Not the Jewish people, but the Pharisees themselves, because you're in charge. So they would have to answer for the way these people were acting. And since they didn't have any control over this great amount of people... 
They sought out the only one that did or could. And they said, tell them to be quiet. And Jesus says in verse 40, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. When he approached, approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the thing, things which make for peace, <clears throat> but now they have been hidden from your eyes. Seeing that entire city, <clears throat> and it was majestic, it was beautiful. And that time of the year with that mass of humanity flowing out of it. Hearing the roar of Hosanna. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Luke says that he wept over it. The other three gospels do not tell us this. But Luke does. And when you look at the word wept, it wasn't a tear running down his cheek. It wasn't the wiping of the nose. It was audible sobbing. Everybody else around him was celebrating, but only Jesus was weeping. The city of David. The whole city. Because of that spiritual condition of the nation which the Jewish leaders had allowed it to become. A couple other times in Scripture it says Jesus wept. If it says that Jesus wept, He truly did grieve and weep. And it wasn't make-believe. It wasn't something that He manufactured. It was truly because His spirit was sorrowful. And he saw the spiritual condition of these people. He heard the Hosanna. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And he knew that in just a few short days, they would be screaming something totally different. Because their hearts were turned in another direction. They didn't get what they wanted. But they got what they deserved. Verse 42. If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes, what in the world was he talking about? He's talking about peace with God. That was the only peace that they needed. They didn't need peace from political uh, Rome, the Romans' control. They didn't need that political peace. They didn't need internal social peace. They didn't need peace in the family. They needed peace with God. And the only way that that was going to come was through the repentance, the forgiveness of sins that Christ offered and the acceptance of Christ. And he says, But now these things have been hidden from your eyes. They chose unbelief, so they were blinded, and they couldn't see Christ and what his true meaning was. 
In verses 43 and 44. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. If any of you have ever read the history of Jerusalem, you know what I'm talking about. But I dare say there's plenty in here that have not, so I'm going to share it with you. Forty years after he spoke these words, the Jews did in fact revolt against Roman control. But the outcome was not good. Jerusalem was crushed and the people with it. The Jews revolted against Roman control. And the son of the emperor at that particular time, the son's name was Titus. And he used this Passover time for his military advantage, shall we say. Because as we just described, the city was filled with people for this celebration. But they were revolting against Roman control. So Titus moved the armed forces of the Roman government in, well not in yet, but around Jerusalem and surrounded it. And that allowed nobody in, nobody out. He had... A blockade set up around it. History tells us that they actually built an embankment around it as well. And they used that embankment to get over the walls in certain areas. And they slowly but surely defeated sections of the city. And not only did they cut off trade in and out. But when they cut that off, it cut off their food supply. So you literally had... Let's just say a million people with no more food or water coming in. And once they gained that advantage, they began to starve to death. And when that happens, people begin to turn on each other. It's just a natural fact of life. It took them all summer to win... um, Total victory over Jerusalem. And they finally had their final surge and they totally overthrew the entire city. And as they demolished the city and the temple, the residences where people lived. You know, Scripture says, not one stone upon another. That's exactly what Jesus meant would happen. They leveled Jerusalem. And as they leveled Jerusalem, they killed off those that were of no benefit to them. Men, women, and children. They killed them off. And as they did that, they had a few that were still vital, not really vital to the Romans, but they were beneficial, shall we say. What do you think they did with them? They carried them off. Because they used them for circus and gladiator games. 
We see that on TV. We see it in movies and, and we watch it. But we don't realize the background behind what we're watching because we're just into the moment of what's going on. But those were the people of Jerusalem and other people as well. But people of Jerusalem that were used for their entertainment. The last ten words is why it happened. Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. These are catastrophic results for Jerusalem. And the people that were praising Christ as the King of Kings coming. And just a few days later screaming for his crucifixion. They didn't realize the time of the visitation. And it was catastrophic for them. And we as people today, when Christ visits us, if we don't realize the time of our visitation, our results can be just as catastrophic. We read that Christ came on a colt. But you know how he's coming the next time? He's coming on a horse, a white horse. I don't know if that horse is going to be beautiful or whether that horse is going to be dreadful. Either way, he is coming as the king of kings. He's coming with a different message this time. So your choice today can be just as catastrophic. If the time of the visitation, when he speaks to your heart and to your mind, you don't turn toward him. Revelations 3.20 says this, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. You know, I didn't pay attention to those scriptures a long time ago. And I blew Jesus off. And I was raised in a Christian home. But when he visited my heart, and I say maybe for the last time, I opened the door and I let him in. And my life has been changed ever since. And if you're sitting here today and Christ is knocking, please let him in. Because you're not guaranteed the ride home. And if you're, if you're a born-again Christian, and Jesus is knocking on your heart about things that you've been doing that need to stop, 
please pay attention. Father, today, I pray, Lord, that the words that have been spoken, Lord, would be honorable in your sight. Father, this example of you and your entry, Lord, was so easily missed by those that walked with you. It has been so easily missed by us that have had your written word in our hands for years. And Lord, I pray today that that would all stop. That it would change. That we would indeed know that this is the day that we have been visited individually. Father, if there is one here today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray, Father, that their ears would be open, that their heart would be tender. Father, that you would cut off the world's voice that speaks to them hour after hour. And Lord, it's your voice would be the only one that they hear. And Father, may they seek you in your written word. And may your word, as it says, not go void in their lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.